Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Lord, thank you for the way in which uh, Neva and those that have supported and worked with her have been able to support these students and these families in Uganda. Thank you, Lord, that the sacrifices that have been made have gotten multiplied in so many different ways. And whether they've educated or they've stabilized um, in health, Father, they have helped to allow these to move forward, realizing that is an act of love coming from you going to them. Father, I pray that you would continue to meet those needs of those that we've been in contact with. I pray for those unsponsored students. Specifically, Lord, my desire, our desire is that they get sponsored. Father, that they have a way that they can continue their education, that they can continue to help their families. Father, I pray that they would continue to know who you are, that they would continue to grow, Father, and those that may not know you, may they come to know you. And thus, Lord, as they journey in this life, growing and maturing, that it would also happen for them spiritually. Father, I pray for us that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, or I should say that we would listen to what you are saying to our hearts. And that, Father, we would respond with obedience. And so I pray even as we plan for 2024, according to your will, Lord, give us wisdom. Father, help us to prioritize and to plan God properly so that we are ready as you allow that time to come. I pray you would put the right people on the team, Lord, and as we are organizing, Father, our eyes are on you. And so now, Father, as we get ready to get into your word, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, help us to be receptive in our thoughts. And help us, Father, to be able to leave here uh, with an obedient mindset, seeing how we are going to apply, put into practice, embrace what we hear today from the word. We commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. For the next two Sundays, um, and it will be a, a little more somber, I was sharing with uh Elder Wright, after, after we finished, I said, thank you for that. Um, oh, just real quick, almost forgot. Thank you for standing up and doing that. The, we do have junior church this morning, so those that are going to be involved in that, you can get up and head on out. Um, and um, my youth pastor, Cletus, and his folk will be back there. So if you guys want to head on out, you can. Um, but for the next, I actually said to him, um, I don't know what kind of church Solid Word is not, but I'm glad that we were able to rejoice and to just be excited, one, to be here, and one, to rejoice with some vigor. I'm like, music is not evil. People are. And so to be able to share and to be joyful and joyous um, and to be able to um, um, worship from a key. <laughs> the worship, look, the music isn't what gets you the worship. It's what's in your heart. And given the opportunity, you worship. Whether it's a particular key, whether it's a memory, whether it's words in a song, come on. We know before we came to Christ, when your song came on, it did not matter where you were. Now, your level of expression might have mattered by where you were, but it struck a chord with you, and you had no problem telling whoever was around, that's my song. Elder Wright, I wonder how many people that chord hit on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue becomes we know that songs and music and those things can hit us in different areas and it sparks something that's already there. 
And so for worship, we don't need music to worship, but thank God for music that helps us as we worship. When I say we don't need, if everything was shut down, if you had no music, if you could not have access to any of that, would you still worship? Wait, that happened. And y'all still worshiped. And even if it was tough, we did. So we thank God for that. And so over the next two Sundays, we're going to be looking at, um, because as we journey into this year, I talked about this year's theme being discipleship in as many faceted ways. And we talked about those basics of discipleship on the right when he preached, talked about what's keeping you from being a disciple. You know, and, and for us, this whole issue of discipleship, we think is something many that we add on to our experience. And as you've seen from the word of God and over these last few Sundays, and even in your own study over the years, we've realized that, that discipleship is not something we add to our experience. Discipleship is the core of your Christianity. It is at the core of who you are and are to be, because when Jesus saved us, those who have come to him, he called us not just to say, I've accepted Christ, but he called us to a lifetime of discipleship, of following him as a learner, as a student, as one who is under his lordship, as that, I mean, as those who are obedient. And many times we like to talk about discipleship, but we see it throughout his time when he was here, how it was critical. And then we see it as he culminated and ended his time here. He sent folks out. The commissioning was a commission of discipleship. And so for us as a church, discipleship is not a program in our church. It is at the core of who we are. And if it's not, we're not obediently following the Lord, the Lord's call and command. And so for the next two weeks, I want to look at this whole issue of the cost of discipleship. And I know that's not one that gets us exciting and jumping and running but we have to understand the cost. We have to understand what it will, um, what it will mean for us, what it will cost us. And this is not to turn you away or off or to, or, or to rain on your parade in your growth in Christ. This is to help you to be intentional and to lean in. And if you are one that you are not a follower of Christ right now, this will help you to understand truly what it means to follow Jesus. We live in a world of easy believism. And we've heard preached easy evangelism. We have people in our chairs, in our seats, pews, watching by live stream who've been told all you had to do is, and they don't understand fully what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Christ, or some that think they are and I can live without any change from how I've been before, and still be considered a follower of Christ. But we don't get that from Jesus. As a matter of fact, you will see many times throughout the Gospels, one of the scriptures that we read next week will actually lean into that. We will see out of the Gospels that many times when large crowds started to form, Jesus vetted the crowd by really saying things that you were either turned off if you were only there to be, uh, to be with him, generally speaking. You wanted to know of him but did not want to follow him. And he had this knack of saying things that would thin the crowd, kind of different from what we do today. Many of our churches today, we say things that bring a crowd because we feel the more people we have, the better off. Jesus said, it's not necessarily more people, it is why are those people there? And we get it in instances like when he fed the 5,000 and then he gets in the boat and he leaves and they walk all the way around the lake 
to meet him on the other side when he took the direct route. They came all the way around. And when they finally got there and found him, they said, we have been looking for you. And we would go, man, what determination. We would say, man, that's great. Look at how awesome these people are for seeking Jesus. Jesus turns and says to them, you only came over here because you want some more fish and loaves. I'd be like, ho, 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 Jesus, are you purposely trying to get rid of the crowd? He says, no, I read the hearts of men. Unlike you and I. And he knew that as they came around, most of them were there because they wanted more of what he did. They didn't want him. And that's a message for us today. See, the issue becomes just because people name his name does not mean they want to follow him. Or there are some people that think they want to follow him, but they're not willing to to bear the price or the cost of what it means to follow. Many of us, we shy away from this issue of cost because we think we're talking about this works-based Christianity, and that's so far from the truth. People think, well, if you talk about what will it cost me, you know, I thought salvation was free. Well, it cost him his life, and it will cost you yours. See, the issue becomes for you and I. There is a cost. Jesus talks about it, and he tells us to measure it. This week, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 9. Next week, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 14. And I'll mention some of it today, but we'll be looking at this whole issue of counting the cost in a number of ways. And so for us today, Luke 9, it is this level of commitment, the cost of discipleship, and I put no turning back. It is this issue of being fully committed to the end from the beginning. See, I've heard of people that when they're going to get married make comments and phrases like, Hey, well, just understand, if this thing doesn't work out, we out. And I say to them, you've just given yourself an out clause from the very beginning. You've actually planted the seeds of leaving right when you're getting started, if this doesn't work. As opposed to now, you know what? (laughs) We in this. And we are going to let the Lord help and work us through. See, today we have a lot of out clauses in other areas of our life. And I'm not speaking to anyone that have had to go through the issue of divorce. We're not talking about that. This thing is the commitment for us is Christ is saying, from the beginning, I want you to have in your mind, when you start with me, you finish with me. That is the mark of a true disciple. That is the mark of the person who says, Lord, I commit myself. This is not an easy, yeah, I received Jesus as my Savior in any emotional moment. And then two months later, you're nowhere to be found around the people of God. Or a year later, life gets hard, and I know it will. And I usually warn those that come new into the faith, it's going to get hard. Some of the euphoria may wear off, but the intensity and the joy does not have to. It will get hard. Why will it get hard? Because you are opposing a culture that has um, innumerably more people against you than with you. Scripture tells us broad is the way that leads to disruption. Jesus was not lying when he said that. That way is broad, which means there are a lot more people going that way than will be following Christ into eternity. We need to keep that in mind. He says few, few compared to what? Compared to the many. He said there will be more people 
that will walk the road apart from God than there will be that will walk with him. What does that mean for you and I? We need to get in our minds we are not living a popular life. He tells us that from the beginning. You're going to have more people that think you crazy than think you're okay. You're going to have more people that think you are wasting your life than think that you are okay. You're going to have more people that misunderstand you. You'll even have more people that may just outright hate who you are because of who you worship. I'm not, and here, I'm not talking about living a life where you try to make people hate you. You don't need to. We got some folk, they just like being contrary. And my dear, you don't have to be contrary. Just live for Jesus. You will be. Truly live for God, and you will be contrary to a lot. But the issue becomes he understands that. He did something like when he told them, hey, if they persecuted me, if they hated me, they will hate you. Why? Because you're my student. You are living life like I lived. You value what I value. You live for what I lived for. And so if doing all of that, it brought hatred from them, how do you think you're going to be the biggest man and woman in the room that everybody going to just love to see you? But in our society, that's what's become important. And so we're going to see today. This whole issue of commitment and relationship. Chapter 9. And you can read that whole chapter as you wish, but I'm going to go from verses 57 to 62. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That is that. On the outside, commitment to true discipleship. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It took me years as a believer to understand that. I thought Jesus was just savage at that moment when I first read this. I was like, dude, wow, really? Until I understood what he was saying. And we'll get into that. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... um, But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three points on this that we're going to look at this morning. The cost, the three areas that will cause people to think the cost is too much to follow Christ. And he's telling you to weigh the cost. When we get to 14, he says, I want you to count the cost so that when you start, you don't get ridiculed because you don't finish. That halfway into your walk of faith, you say, nah, this ain't mine and I'm out, which we've seen many do to the ridicule of them and others. They say, what, you didn't know this from the beginning? This was new news to you? And for some of them, yes, because of how they learned Christ and how they came to him. And he is setting it down. He is laying the bar down. I know this is not a shout message, and that is okay. But I want this to be a clarifying one so that we are able to look at our own resolve. Now, we know you are not living this life on your own, meaning under your own strength and power. No, but he says to us, that you living this life by the power of the Holy Spirit will be determined, too, by your choosing to be obedient to God from beginning, birth in Christ, to end. And I'll just say this. If, it, if, it, if, it, if the journey doesn't finish with you being obedient until death or he takes you home, Something really did not happen at the beginning that you think did. 
and he shares that throughout. See, we think something happened, but based on how you didn't finish says a lot about your beginning. And he lays it bare for us. So we're going to look at three because he answers three different things here that people um, that cause people to think the cost is too much. And I'm putting it out to you to weigh and to say, is it too much for you to follow Christ? Are you willing to pay that price? Is that a cost that you say, yes, I can do? Well, let's look at it. The first cost is one of physical deprivation or physical hardship. That's what he's saying here. First one he says is, as they were going along the road, and again, when he says disciples, this is not just the 12. These are groups that have claimed to be followers of him. And we knew that they were at different levels of following, that they were at different points of, of them saying, I'm committed to you, Jesus. Because we see these disciples are all over the place. And some of them, in the text that you read, Elder Wright, they decided to turn, to turn around. They decided to say, okay, you, 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 you talking crazy now. You, you, no. But you had a group that said, wait, we still here. Because you alone have the words of eternal life. So that group of disciples included more than just the 12. And so we we see here physical hardship as they were going along the road. Someone said to him, because I know they've had interest in, they liked who Jesus was, what he did. They liked what they saw. They liked what they heard. They were interested in Jesus. But he uncovers him knowing the hearts of men, that person included, answered him in a particular way. Pay attention to how he answered him. He says, the guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. That should have been applauded. Jesus clarifies his thought. He says, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's telling him, you going to follow me through some extreme hardships? He says, animals have it better than me when it comes to the comforts and the conveniences of life. Are you willing to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable and put out for me? See, the issue becomes Jesus read right through him and he reads right through us. Some of us, the moment it gets uncomfortable, we on the edge. Now, Lord, I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I was like, you should have. Because it's part of the journey. Wherever he takes you is where he wants you to be. See, understand, if God is sovereign, and I know we make some mistakes in our own lives and we bring some things on ourselves, but don't you understand even the things that you bring on yourselves, he allows them to be brought to you? Yes, he could interrupt them if he chose to, but many times he chooses not. Even in that, even in the mess that we make, his sovereign hand has allowed it. His sovereign hand says, all right, we're going to bring this one on. But he is still your God, and he is still causing you to walk through it according to his will, plan, and purpose. And so he says to them, this person was probably feeling their commitment to the Lord that day. They are walking along the road. They are probably looking around at the crowd and saying, I'm in this group. I'm among these people, and we following Jesus. And they felt some kind of way. And all of a sudden, they blurted out, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Come on, you know us on our best days. We feeling like that, singing our worship songs in our car, screaming out loud, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus clarifies and said, are you willing to be uncomfortable, inconvenienced, and not get some of the things that you deeply desire? 
when I make your life, and I said that, when I make your life uncomfortable, are you thinking about bailing? Is that song still strong? Are you down with the cause still? See, the issue becomes that is his, he is clarifying for us something. He says, listen, one of the things that will make you think it is too much of a cost is physical hardship and being deprived of what you desire on this earth. God, I wanted that house. God, I wanted that job. Man, what you doing? God, I wanted that relationship to really work. I, want, I didn't expect it to be like this at this point in my life. God, I want my health back. And if the Lord says, no, but follow me, what do you do? I, I, for me, that, that's, that, that's, that's humbling. That's sobering. That's clarifying. Is my commitment only based on my comfort? Is my commitment only based on my convenience? Because if it is, man, I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to allow something to come that makes you uncomfortable and inconvenienced to the point where you're going to need to make a decision. And he goes, I'm not doing that out of spite. I want you to be a true follower of me. Nothing on this earth keeps you from following me. First person. Second one. See, now, this first person, he called out to Jesus, unprovocated. Jesus didn't say anything to him. He was, he was feeling his life, and he just says to Jesus. Second person, Jesus says to them. He calls out. It says, and Jesus said, um, and, I'm sorry, verse 59, to another he said, speaking of Jesus, follow me. That's the call and the command that he gives to all of us who are followers of him. He called, follow me. What did he said? But Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, at first pass, you would think, well, man, Jesus can't do can the man go bury his father? No, it is why. If his father was dead, he wouldn't be there at that moment. Culturally, he would be home with the family mourning and grieving because that was culturally right. It was very well understood in this text that probably what was happening here is father was elderly, didn't know how much time he had, and that he was wanting to wait until dad died. Some even suggested that when dad died, there's usually an inheritance. So can you wait until I get my money and then I follow you? Can you wait until I get paid, Lord, and then we can talk about following you? Because I ain't trying to miss out. I want my dad mad at me. I don't want him writing me off. I want to get what's mine, then I'll follow you. Second point on this one is, first one was physical deprivation. Second one is pressing duties that are temporary. Pressing duties for you that are temporary. We put these things above following Christ. Now, can I care for my family and follow Christ? Yes, you can. But what he is saying is when we put pressing things for us, things that we consider critical and important in this life and this life only, and we put it in front of following God, how does that look in everyday life? God, you know this job is so important to me. Yeah, but this job is causing you to, to be out of character as a believer. Causing you to lie. It's causing you to manipulate. It's causing you to throw people under the bus that God is calling you to care for. It is causing you to latch on to and to believe something and to demonstrate something that is not the character of Christ. You got God, but it's it's paying them bills. 
Uh, do I say you just walk out? Let's use some wisdom in how we do this. But the issue becomes, do I lean in and just go as if God will understand? God, when I leave this job, then I'll follow you. I've had people say to me this, when I get old, I'll follow him. And my response is, who said you're going to have a chance to get old? You assuming that you're going to reach a particular age, whatever old is in your mind. Actually, old is tomorrow because you're older tomorrow than you are today. See, the issue becomes when we take things that are pressing on us and we allow it to govern in a negative way us following Christ, we are saying the cost is too much, Jesus. mm, Wow, I didn't think you were going to ask me to do that. I was down with everything else but that. Then you weren't down. If there's a but in your what I'm down with. If there's but, you aren't down. Because God's going to call on that but. God, I'll do it but. Or I'll do it when. And God says, I've called you. Here's the deal. He was called at that moment, and he delayed his call, his response. I'll respond to you later. Saints, when you are reading the word of God and God is calling you to something as you read, that's not for next week. That's for right then. If you had been reading something and it was never illuminated to you, and all of a sudden you go, oh, Wow, I got that, Lord. That was for right then. Now, is the Lord merciful in that he may? Yes, and he knows that we work up into it and we struggle. But please, let's not play on that. What he is saying is, if I revealed it to you, if I opened your eyes to it, that was your call. He is calling you to something higher, better, Deeper, hey, look, understand in that first point, let's not just look at the hardship alone. In other words, it may be hard, you may be deprived, but look at what you get in return. Place value on it. You get a relationship with the living God who, who gives you purpose in this life and has you set for the next. See, there are people that are telling you right now, I'm set for life. You know, folks that have make their millions through whatever job they do or however they get it. And we'll hear things like, man, that dude's set for life. This life. And he may not even be set for this one. There's a movie that is out. Um, it's an old movie. Watched it and... Um, and it made me think about a real-life um, scenario. It's a movie that is out years ago called Margin Call. And in the movie Margin Call, these, all these stockbrokers and things, that, 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 that they were putting together these investment packages that were so imbalanced that their debt was, was, was greater than the value of the company unbeknownst to them and when they found out that it was they were like okay this is about to end and so they go on this spree to try and sell off but they are destroying the financial lives of many that was the movie the real life was Bernie Madoff who had a Ponzi scheme for over I mean um, of over 60 billion dollars And he caused the lives of many people, many, to go under with all of their life savings. I mean, and and, and mainly the rich. These were not folk that, okay, I can give you 25 a month. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. He wasn't dealing with them. He was dealing with the folk that were giving him, you know, five, ten million, you know, half a million. And 
And all of that money went down the tubes. And I was listening to just the other day, looking back on this, because I was thinking about this with this. I was looking back, and they showed this one man, wealthy, who had his life savings. And right before he turned 80 years old, he realized that he had lost over $8 million with this guy. I was like, I didn't think I'll make that. No, okay, let me tell you, I won't make that in my lifetime. Not, not, not I don't think. Eight million. And they ask him, do you have anything left? And in the report, he said, I have enough left for 60 days. I was like, see, he thought and everyone else, he's, he's set for life. So he thought. But, but, but that's not even the bad thing. Maybe you are set for this life. What about the next one? Because you have no idea when this life will end. People assume Man, we, we assume so much, I'm going to make it to, and you put some year and out in the distance. Many of us don't even think about it. And the issue becomes, for you and I, what about that next life that I'm living in this life preparing for? I've said this before. Listen, listen, man, if you live to be, my grandmother lived to be 103 years old. It was wonderful and amazing. But can I ask you to pair up, to compare 103 to eternity? So eternity is, is like, okay, so let's put it this way. After 20 million years, if we count years as we do here, after 20 million years, you're just getting started. That, that's eternity. After 300 million years, you're just getting started because there's no time. There's no end. And so understand that if you live to be 70, 80, 90, 100, by some, you know, some weird chance, 120, compare that to eternity. And so if you are all about just this life, what I'm going to do in them 100 years, and most of us are, let me just help us out, most of us are not going to live that long. In the 100 years, that's nothing compared to where I spend eternity and how I spend it. And so the issue he's saying here is, what is more pressing than an obedient life in Christ? What is more critical? Yes, God says take care of your family, do your jobs, make your money, invest. He's not, he's not speaking against that at all, at all. What he's saying is when you make it your priority and when it causes you to live differently than how he wants you to. Last one. Last one. He says. Yet another said, and here's the other one. I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell, farewell to those at home. Jesus' answer should tell us how he reads this man's heart. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says to this man, you're unfit to be here. Wait a minute. He says, well, I, I, mean, I know this is going to cost me. I, I need to go back and say bye to my family. And I go, Lord, what's wrong with that? You want me to just leave and not say anything to them? No, that's not what he was saying. See, the issue for him was discipleship on my terms. Listen to what happened first. Jesus called out to him just like he did the second guy. Jesus calls out and says, follow me. And he goes, wait, I'll follow you. But I got to go back here. And I've got to deal with family and ties. And here was the issue. He had a problem breaking ties with his old life that would have had him hampered in his new one. Jesus wasn't telling him to jettison his family. Jesus is not saying it's okay to walk away from your family. He's not saying that. He says in another part in Luke, 
they don't come anywhere near close to being as important to you as your relationship with me must be. What he says is that family comes in a distant second compared to me. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, if someone, he says, if one is to follow me and he doesn't hate, and some of us have issues with that scripture, hate his mother and father, sister and brother. He said, hate, Jesus, no, no, not hate as in despise. When you compare the relationship, when your closeness and commitment to Christ and you compare it to your commitment to your family, God says it's as if you go, y'all don't even compare. Wow, you say, well, hold on. Uh, am I not supposed to care for my family? You are. Doesn't the Bible say if a man doesn't care for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever? It does. Is that contradictory? Not at all. What he is saying is that you care for that family, but that family is in a distant second with your relationship with me. And if any time, any point in time, that family wants to come in between me and you, it is as if you put them aside. Because you can't lead that family properly if you are obsessed with them and not me. You can't love them the way you are to love them if you are so enthralled and intoxicated with them and not me. Because it will be an unhealthy, it will be an unholy love. Part of why Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac, that God promised that heir anyway, understand this supernaturally allowed Abraham and them, not like Jesus, let's not go there, but supernaturally in that both of them, the way past the age of having kids. It was like some of y'all right now having kids. I'm not even going to look at anybody. I'm going to look at the clock. It's like some of y'all right now having kids. You'd be like, nah, son, nah, mm -mm. ain't going to happen. Why? Because you're past the age. But God made it happen and then told Abraham to go. And, uh, but if he put two and two together, he, he would be like, okay, uh, something's going to happen because the way you brought this little dude about I know, you know, but he had a hard time, and, and, but he followed it. Why? Part of the reason is Isaac could not be in the position of God to Abraham. He could not be cherished more than God. He, be, he could not be desired more than God. He could not cause Abraham to live out of God's will because he's trying to deal with Isaac. And for some of us, God is saying, listen to me. Your families can't lead you to sin. Your families can't lead you to turn your back on me. Your families, your priorities, your past, your things that you're tied to cannot be greater than your love for me. Otherwise, it will be an unholy love that you have for them. The purest love that you can have for your family comes from putting Christ first in your life. For your husband and wife, for your kids, for your friends, for whomever. Christ first. And then everyone else will be in their proper place. And he says to him, listen, you want to go back and reminisce and be with your family. That's what you want to do. God, this is hard. I don't want to. They are so important. And he says, look, understand that when you put your hand to the plow for me, it is from beginning to end. And he said, if you turn back, and that turn back is a turn back of desire, I wish I was there still. He says, you're unfit. Why? Because your heart is divided. Your heart is not committed. Jesus says, all or nothing. If he is not Lord of all, we know the rest, he is not Lord at all. And he calls us, understand, 
you and I, the best thing that can happen to us is to say the cost is worth it. What will it cost you? Everything. How much will it cost you? All of you. And Jesus says, I want you to think about that as you think about following me. Not so that you can turn away and say, ah, okay, I'm good. Because he says, what's your other option? Okay, if you say that's too much of a cost, okay. So now, instead of him paying for and dying for your sins, you get to do it. So let's talk about the cost. Instead of now you, I mean, instead of him giving you a purpose and a reason and wisdom for living, you get to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out why you're here. And there are many that are doing that. You get to get involved in endeavor after endeavor after thing after after. And you just keep looking for stuff to give you meaning and purpose. Because you said he was too expensive. And Jesus says, okay, you go and bear the cost that you think is worth it. And we all know it's not. That cost is too expensive. So before we go, well, wow, I think this is too expensive. I want to say, really? Is it really that expensive? Measure, count the cost. Next week, if you want to read ahead, we're going to look at 14 is when he talks about counting it so that you finish. Look at that, counting it so that you finish. But he is saying here, these are the things that make you think being with Jesus is too expensive. It's too costly. And boy, I just want to ask you, compare it to what it will cost if I have to bear that myself. And now all of a sudden, it doesn't seem too expensive. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it's going to cost. Because he wants it to. I read this the other day. I think it was from... Oh, my gosh. I can't remember his name right now. It wasn't C.S. Lewis. I'm trying to remember. Great preacher. Elder Rankin, help me out. Spurgeon. Thank you. He said, if your religion costs you nothing, it's not worth anything to you. If it costs you nothing to embrace what you believe, what you believe isn't worth much. It's worthless. See, Jesus calls you to something that will cost you everything. Look, that degree you have, that job you have, that position you have, that house you have, it costs you something to get there. And you appreciate doing what it took to bear that cost. The lifestyle you live now had a cost with it. And you paid it. Sometimes begrudgingly, but most times gladly because you had it. Because it was worth it to you. And he says to you and I, am I worth it to you that you will bear the cost? Well, what's the cost, Lord, your life? All of it. You know, I saw this picture. Was it this morning? This morning. My phone on the news. You know that Russia is about to invade the Ukraine, or it is strongly believed that they will. And they had a picture of Ukrainian, gosh, I almost started crying, Ukrainian Christians kneeling in the snow, praying for their country that was about to be overrun. Do you think they were praying about material things at that point? Do you think it mattered? Their whole way of life could be about to change. And I think it was the New York Times had a picture of them kneeling in the snow beseeching God to have mercy on them for what they were about to go through as Christians in their nation. And I would say to us, where are we? What are we kneeling in the snow over? What are we praying for? What have you been beseeching God for lately? I don't want to know. That's you and God. What has been occupying your thoughts What has been hitting you? Why? 
Is it what God wants? Or is it some pressing temporary desire that in a hundred years won't mean anything? God's calling. Follow me. What will be your answer? Is he too expensive? Or is he worth the cost? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, this is, this is sobering. Because we know for us, Father, that we still live in these sinful bodies. Father, that our heart chases many times these things that are in our world. And yet we know in our hearts, our hearts beat for you because in our, we've been changed, we've been transformed by you. And we desire to live for you. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to understand that the cost is worth it. Yes, it will cost us everything. We will not give up. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would give us, um, Father, that we would lean on what we have already in you and that we would say it is you are, this life is worth the cost and that we would pay it or we would sacrifice. Father, you paid it all that we might live. Father, may we give it all because you let us live. And when it gets hard and when we feel the crunch and when we feel the pain and when we feel it's unfair and when we feel, God, I really wish this had not happened. Lord, may we say, but Father, if it means this to follow you, it's worth it. I pray, God, that we demonstrate that to our world and so they would see the price they're willing to pay is not going to deliver in the way they think. And let us be people that allow them to see that following Jesus is worth it. It's not easy. There is a cost involved. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. And we will gladly give it because the other option is really too expensive. Father, strengthen us this week as we reflect on what this means in our life and help us to walk after you in Christ's name. Amen.